Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Well, good morning, church. It's great to be able to open God's word with you again this week. My name is Matt Boyd. If you are new to Sojourn and I'm the lead pastor here and have the privilege of most weeks opening God's word and delivering a message of uh, just what God has put on the heart of uh, Sojourn and where it is that he is leading us and taking us. We're going to be back in Matthew chapter 6 this morning, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them there. We are uh, a few months into working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. We have, I think, a chapter and a half to go, so I haven't exactly mapped out where it's going to take us, but probably into the very end of the spring, maybe even into the first part of summer, but I am uh, enjoying this. It is challenging me each week in and week out, and I'm sure is doing the same for you. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking specifically at chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, and so you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, if you were with us last week, then remember that we were looking at fasting, and we were challenged to take this communal fast on Thursday as really a way to put into practice what it is that Jesus is teaching us. It says when we fast. And so we said, man, when we fast, we want to get together and fast and and actually practice the ways of Jesus, not just talk about them, not just teach about them, actually put them into practice. We I asked all of you to pray on Thursday, skip breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or maybe all three of your meals, and, and just pursue the Lord on behalf of our church. Um, in addition to that, also on behalf of the horrendous acts of murder that took place in Atlanta this week. I've been heartbroken over that. I've been reaching out to some of my Asian American friends and praying for that community and, and just trying to um, pray for an end to just violence in general, all violence, but specifically racial violence. And uh, we, along with some neighbors in the community, got together and just wrote some cards to a couple of the Asian-owned businesses in our community to say, we love you. We are glad that you're here. And I just made sure the ones I wrote to reiterate, you're always welcome at Sojourn Church. So let me pray for us on the front end this morning. Let me pray for our time and what we're going to look at this morning, but also just pray for our Asian American brothers and sisters around uh, the country and just what it is that, that they're dealing with and how it is that they're mourning and that we want to join them and say that we want to pray and lament with you. And so let me pray for us, church. God, we come to you this morning with heavy hearts as a, another tragedy that we have witnessed in our own nation God, that we want to mourn with our brothers and sisters who are of Asian American descent. God, we, we mourn with them. We lament. God, we seek you. God, we ask that there be an end to violence in this country. God, it seems like over the last year, I don't know if it's because we're all glued to screens more or if there's just been an uptick all around the country and then specifically uh, racially targeted stuff. God, I just read more and more reports that were just heartbreaking this week if, the amount of Asian Americans who have been um, just, there's been racial slurs or there's been violent acts. And then we see this just horrendous thing that took place in Atlanta. And so, Lord, we pray and just ask that you would come, Lord, come quickly. God, we in and of ourselves don't have the answers, but we know that you do. And so, God, may we be people of peace and of mercy. May we be people of truth and justice. And God, may we be there for our brothers and sisters in this time where they're mourning, where they're confused, where they're maybe fearful. And God, may we make sure that we let them know that we're linking arms with them. And God, that they are not going through this alone. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as I was preparing this message this week, 
it was striking to find out that more than 1 billion people in the world live on less than a dollar a day. Yes, less than $1. And about 3 billion people live on less than $2 per day. So 4 billion people on the planet live on less than $2 a day. Now, between 12 and 20% of Americans live below what we call the poverty line. Now, what I want you to do this morning on the front end, now some of you are tuning in from your living room or from your kitchen table, maybe even your bedroom. Some of you are in person right now at the stamp building, but especially if you're at home, but even if you're not, just take a minute and observe what you have. Look, look around you. That the, necess, the things that in your life that not necessarily necessities, the, the luxuries in many ways. I mean, think about it. Most of you, probably all of you, have cold or hot water whenever you want it. You have coffee and tea always available. A stocked pantry with snacks. My house, we got food in the fridge for three healthy meals. We have heat when it's cold outside. We have comfortable couches. We have comfortable chairs. We have a dining room table with chairs to eat our meals. I have a closet stocked with clothes. I have a safety uh, cameras that looking on the outside of my house. I have a safety fence around my backyard. I live a fairly comfortable life. But the reality is most of us as Americans live a very comfortable life. I think sometimes as Americans that because of the way that we live, what we mistakenly do is we picture Jesus that we follow and worship as this middle-class American. But the Jesus we follow, he seemed to actually have very little. He lived in a dry and hot and dusty world. He received his food by fishing and farming or donations. He lived on very little. He lived from the generosity of others. He undoubtedly knew some times of hunger and thirst. And Jesus, in many ways, he expected simplicity of his followers because he lived simplicity. He expected us to care for the poor because he had experienced being poor. Now, this morning in our passage, Jesus is speaking to his followers then who are seeking to embody his kingdom vision, but he's also speaking to us this morning who, who in the U.S. and the Western world have even more affluence as Christians if we are seeking to actually live out this Sermon on the Mount, if we're actually seeking to live out this kingdom vision that we've been looking at. And Jesus' message can be reduced to these ideas. Live simply. Don't allow your finances or possessions to become idolatrous in your life and trust God. And so that's kind of our takeaways on the front end. If we can just live simply, don't allow our possessions or our uh, wealth to become idolatrous and trust God. And so in our set of verses this morning, in verses 19 through 24, what Jesus is going to call his followers to do, he's going to call us to choose our master. He's going to say, you can either choose God or you can choose wealth. You can't have it both ways. You got to choose one or the other. Now, the statements we will look at today are two of the hardest statements that Jesus ever made. Now, here's what makes them so difficult. They are hard to follow. They are hard to hear, especially as, once again, Americans who are in this very affluent country. Now, this is one of those commands that I sense most in the church completely blow off. But what we'll see today is that ignoring this command has some pretty incredible consequences. So let me go ahead and read for us the first two verses, Matthew 6, verses 19 and 20. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, we don't think so much in the terms of treasures today. When I hear treasure, I think about like Pirates of the Caribbean and a treasure chest. 
But typically, when we think about the idea of treasure, we think of money, we think of our children, we might think of our possessions, but Jesus here is primarily talking about our wealth. And so when he's talking about treasure, he's talking about your wealth. Now, before you tune me out, and I know what some of you are thinking, because I've, I've been there and I often go there myself. Well, I don't have wealth, so I can just check you out. But remember, this is why I set up on the front end, when we look at the entire world, when we look at the globe, that most of us have wealth. Do you live on less than $1 a day? Do you live on less than $2 a day? So most of us, all of us, I would say, for Americans tuning this morning, have wealth compared to the rest of the world. This passage even has eternal implications. For Jesus solemnly warns where your treasure is, whether it's in heaven or whether it's on earth, that is where your heart will be also. Jesus is saying in this life, you will gather or store up treasure in one of those two places. And so your first option is the earth, where we are right now. But he says, this is temporary and it won't last, but some are gonna choose that. Others of you are gonna store up your treasure in heaven. This is where it has an internal impact and it will last forever. And so it's important to face this honest question on the front end. What was Jesus prohibiting when he told us not to lay up treasure for ourselves on earth? So it's probably helpful if we begin by listing what it is he was and is not forbidding, okay? Got a few things for you. First, we don't see a ban on possessions in and of themselves. Scripture nowhere forbids owning private property. Second, saving for a rainy day or having a savings account is not forbidden for Christians. Or for that matter, an, uh, an life assurance policy, which is only the kind of savings that can be self, um, sorry, of savings by self-imposed compulsion. And so actually we see in parts of scripture where it, we see the praise for the ant storing in the summer because the food that he'll need when the winter rolls around. Uh, we see that declares the believer who makes no provision for his family is worse than an unbeliever. And so it can't mean that it's not that you can't have a savings account. Third is we are not to despise, but rather to enjoy the good things which our creator has given us richly to enjoy. So neither having possessions nor making money or provisions of, for the future, none of that's bad, nor is enjoying the good gifts that God our creator gave us they're not including that ban on earthly treasure storage. So Jesus says, do not store up treasure for yourself here on earth. Now, I really, really want us to get this, church. This is not a suggestion, okay? Do not store up treasure for yourself here on this earth. This is not a suggestion. What this is, is this is a command, a command coming from the mouth of Almighty God. So don't go leave this morning saying, Matt said this, Sojourn said this. No, God himself said this, and this is a command of God. So now we have to go, in light of that command, it begs a question for us. What in the world does that look like? What does that look like in my life? What does that look like in marriage? What does that look like for my family? What does that look like for us as a church? Does that mean we can't own a home? Does, does that mean we can't get the new iPhone? Does that mean we can't have a 401k? Does that mean it's bad to have a savings account? Is it bad to be wealthy? Should we automatically give away our stimulus check that we just received? And so what then is it that Jesus is actually forbidding here? That's what I want you to think about this morning. And what we see is that Jesus forbids his followers from this selfish accumulation of goods. He forbids his followers from this extravagant and luxurious lifestyle. He, he forbids his followers from this heart-hardness, which does not want to give generously to those in need around us. And so in sum, to lay up your 
treasure on earth does not mean being provident, making sensible provision for the future, but it's being covetous. So it's not not using wisdom, but it's coveting that thing, making that thing an, an idol and making that thing essentially a God. And so the earthly treasure that we covet, Jesus reminds us it grows rusty. It gets moth-eaten, and thieves break in and steal it, but treasure in heaven is incorruptible. So he says, do not have this treasure on earth and don't put all of your treasure there because it won't last. Rust will take over it. Moths will eat it. Thieves will break in and steal it. But the treasure that you're storing in heaven is incorruptible. And so the point that Jesus is making is not not that all Christians are to take a vow of poverty. That's not what Jesus is saying here. But I do think we could argue that Jesus is calling some to a life with less. Why would I say that? Well, let's look at missionaries overseas. They live a much simpler life than most of us. These are fellow Americans, expats who move their lives overseas. Think about Christians in other countries. Okay, if we just did a survey, once again, a lot of the world lives on less than one or two dollars per day. And so it can't mean that we're all supposed to have a bunch of wealth, but it also doesn't mean we're all supposed to take this vow of poverty. Think about church planners and ministers. Oftentimes they do without. They have less things than maybe those in other career fields around them. And so this is one of the reasons that we don't preach a prosperity gospel, namely because it isn't the gospel message. We don't preach this thing that we're all to get rich and and drive really expensive cars and get mansions and private jets and all of those things. Okay, there's been documentaries about that and there's TV shows even making fun of that. That is not the gospel, okay? That is something else entirely. And so that's why we don't preach that here because that is not the actual gospel message. And so we know that wealth in and of itself is not sinful. We have examples of that, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so don't think if you have wealth, if you have more than anyone else this morning who's part of the church, don't think, man, that's, I'm, I'm bad because of that. We see examples of Old Testament, New Testament. There's wealth. But it can become bad. It can become wrong. It can become sinful if it owns your heart, which is easy to happen. It's easy to happen. And then it has crossed and become wrong and sinful. Look again at verses 19 and 20. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so the key to reconciling this is found in the two words, for yourself. So here's the point to the entire sermon. Okay, so if you're taking notes, here's where you write this down. Jesus is making the point for you to make sure that you are using and utilizing the stuff that he has given you, not for yourself primarily, but primarily for the kingdom of God. And so you're, the point is that you're using the things that God has given you, the things that God has blessed you with, the God that, that he has given you uh, as a steward over, not so you store up more stuff and treasures for yourself on earth, but that you would use those primarily for his kingdom, which will result in more treasures for you in heaven. In other words, you having wealth is not sinful, but you not using your wealth for the kingdom of God is sinful. Let me say that again. You having wealth is not sinful. We hope and pray that some of you become very successful, but that you use it for the generosity of the kingdom of God that we can see kingdom expansion happen. So you having wealth is not sinful, but you not using your wealth for the kingdom of God, that is what is sinful. Look at verse 21 with me. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
for the Sermon on the Mount, it re- repeatedly refers to the heart. We've seen this quite a few weeks where it just talks about like that's kind of the motive, right? That's what it's referring to is the motive here is, is where your heart is. And here Jesus declares that our heart always follows our treasure, whether down to earth or up to heaven. And throughout scripture, we see the heart refers to the center of one's being. It involves one's emotions, one's reason, one will. Do you want to know what owns your heart? Are you wondering this morning, what? I wonder what owns my heart? The place where you are storing up treasure, that's the place that owns your heart. Is that in heaven? Is that in earth? Listen, church, you can with your mouth all day long declare that Jesus is Lord. You can raise your hands and declare that Jesus has your heart, but not actually belong to God. You might say, why do you say that, Matt? Here's why I say that. It isn't what you say with your mouth that matters. It's where your actions and your treasures are actually found. That's what matters. I think about some of the cultural moments that we've dealt with in the last year. I think about some of the cultural moments we're dealing with right now. And I think that's what our world sometimes is screaming at us. It's saying, you guys can say these things all day long. Love God, love neighbor. You can say these things all day long. But where's the proof? The proof is in the pudding. Okay, I don't remember where that phrase came from. I remember saying it as a kid. It's where is your actions? Where are your treasures actually found? So it's not saying, man, God, all my treasure, I want my treasure in you. Got to trust in you. But it's going, where are your actions? Do your actions actually back that up? Do your actions actually prove that point? Now, the reality is this is really, really difficult. I'm not saying this is easy. And so if you're using your money, your job, your house, your car, your education, students, your time in college, not for his glory, not for his fame, not for the expansion of the kingdom, not for the expansion of the church, not for the winning of souls, but you're using all that treasure just for you and for the benefit of you in this world. What Jesus is saying, and I want you to hear this clearly, is the reason you are doing and living like that might be because Jesus is not the Lord of your heart, but the world is. Okay? I'm not trying to say, thus saith the Lord, but it's right here in the text. And so we really have to question our motivations. If we're not using our job, our career, our degree, our possessions, our time in college, if we're not using these things for his name and for his glory and for the expansion of the kingdom of God, where it may be more on Portland and on earth as it is in heaven, then what he's saying here, what Jesus is saying, is the reason that you are doing and living like that might be because Jesus is not the Lord of your heart, but the world is. Now, as American Christians, what do we do? We completely blow this off, right? But this is an indicator of who actually has your heart. Now, it is clear in these first few verses that Jesus is talking about wealth and money. But as I was studying this week, I started wondering, what does he mean in these next couple of verses? Look at verse 22 and 23 with me. Because I'll be honest, at first I was like, what is... This, what does that have to do? Like, this is totally out of left field. Verse 22. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, it appears at first that Jesus is totally changing the subject here. Like, man, he's kind of hit us hard, but he's done. He's moving to something else. But he's not actually changing the subject at all. What he's doing it is one of these seamless subjects where he's really set the context, which is always important to understand. Jewish people believed that with your eye is what directed the rest of your body. 
right? I mean, it's true in some sense now. Like, think about if you're just walking somewhere, right? Right? Close your eyes, try to walk, and not get in the street, not get hit by a car. Like, your your eye directs the rest of your body. So, whatever you're setting your eyes on, your heart, your mind, and your soul would follow behind. And so, this is why they use the illustration of a lamp. If you think if you've ever had to light a lantern when you were camping, or if you've ever uh, lit a, a candle, you light the match, you put the match down in there, and it kind of illuminates everything else that's right there. Around, if it's a lantern, the whole area around, the candle, that area around on the table or the counter, wherever you have it. Now, other translations use the word clear instead of healthy to communicate this direct focus of one direction, which will cause the entire body to be full of light. So here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what Jesus' point is in relation to what he's talking about with your treasure. If your gaze is set and, and you have the singular focus of storing up treasure in heaven, then your whole body will be full of light. But if you do the opposite, the opposite will also be true. He says, this darkness will be great. And so Jesus' point, there's a direct connection between the spiritual and the physical because your wealth and how you are stewarding go together. Think about people who are living for this life. We can see those people. It's pretty easy because they they jump from house to house. You know, they kind of start out in the condo and then they get a two-bedroom and then the three-bedroom. Before you know it, they have a six-bedroom. And on and on and on, right? They're always going for the next level of car and they kind of get to the this level and this level and this level and just more stuff and more expensive and just these luxurious lifestyle. Now, this can easily produce inside of you this darkness. I've seen it. Now, it doesn't mean if you've been successful and that you have a lot of money, you have some of those things that you are necessarily in darkness. So let me ex- hopefully explain this. You might be successful, but... You decide that, man, you want to be generous with the success that God has given you. And so that would be light. That's what he's referring to here. I've heard stories of people who make so much money, they live on half of their income. And they give the rest of it away. And they still live a very luxurious lifestyle, but they're giving half of it away. And so we always have to be quick not to judge others as well, right? And let the Holy Spirit speak to you this morning in this message. But I also know people who are successful and they hoard it for themselves, which is what he refers to as the dark here. It's more about me. Let me continue to get more and more for myself and just take care of me. And you're not being generous at all. And you're not focused on expanding his kingdom at all. Now, if you live in America, I've already told you this, but go ahead and lump yourself into that wealthy category. I've seen the poorest of the poor on the planet. And trust me, none of us are there, even unfortunately compared to our houseless here in our city. Plus, you all just got another stimulus check of $1,400 per person in your household. So I know that all of you have at least a little bit of money right now. Now, I am not going to prescribe what you do with your stimulus check. But it, again, is an opportunity to be generous if you're one who doesn't need it like some of the others in our community. I'll be transparent. I'm wrestling through. I'm praying through. God, what do we, what do, we do with this, this stimulus money that we just got? I mean, there's some good things that we could do and some things on the house that we'd like to do and maybe, maybe you know, some improvements on the, the car or different things like that. But then I also see that all the needs around us. This time of year, a lot of churches that, that we participate in take up a big Easter offering, just like we did at Christmas, and they give it all to church plan in the U.S. And so there's just a number of things that we're praying through. But some of you might have some emptiness in your life. Some of you might have some darkness in your life, and you're not really sure why. I've had conversations with people over this last year, and sometimes we go, is it COVID? Is it loneliness? Is it something else? But Jesus says one of the first places you should look is where it is you're storing your treasure. So if you're experiencing darkness, if you're experiencing emptiness, if you, if you just aren't sure why and you just feel distance from God, the first place to check is where it is that you're storing your treasure. I've had enough conversations. I've been in pastoral ministry long enough to oftentimes, not always, 
But oftentimes when someone's struggling, it's directly tied to where they're storing their treasure. And one of the first things I like to ask them, how generous are you being? Well, I can't be generous because I can barely make this, I can barely do this, and I can barely do that. And I'm not saying do things recklessly, but you see that their treasures and taking care of themselves or their treasures and getting more for themselves and you don't see the generosity and you see that Jesus tells us right here, the first place you should look if you're feeling dark, if you're feeling empty, if you're feeling distance from God is where it is that you are storing your treasure. Now, the last thing, and this is probably the hardest one of this passage is verse 24. It says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus knew that our hearts would desire money. He says, you can't have one foot in serving money and having the other foot serving him. And so if you're serving money, essentially God is saying that you hate me because I am not your master. Money is your master. Jesus is literally saying that money is a salvation issue. And so if you are saved, it will manifest itself in how you're using money. That's another way, really an indicator that, you know, people might question, am I really following Jesus? Am I doing this thing right? Like, if you are generous, you desire to be generous, like that's an indicator that God is working in your life and moving through you. You might be sitting here thinking, well, Matt, how do you know if I'm serving money? How do I know if I'm serving that and not the Lord? I don't know for sure in your life, but here are some indicators. Has debt hindered you from being generous in the kingdom of God? Do you feel like you don't have resources that you're able to freely give? I'm not talking about student debt and a mortgage. I'm talking about senseless credit card debt. I'm talking about having living in too much of a house. In other words, a house that you can't afford to buy, but you want to live in it. Or you're driving too much car. Not a car you can afford, but you're driving too much car. A car you don't even need, and that's putting you in debt. And so the question is, has your lifestyle choices hindered your kingdom generosity? Is there something that's hindering and holding you back? Now, if you're in a place where you just can't give or you won't give towards the kingdom of God because of your lifestyle... What Jesus is saying is that that might be because God is not your God, but money is your God. You see, church, it should be the other way around. It should be your kingdom generosity, which hinders your lifestyle. Here's what I mean by that, that you forego certain luxury sacrifice so that you'll have more to freely give to the kingdom. I can give you a lot of examples of this, but I'm going I'm to give one this morning, my own parents. I know that they would not want me to use them as examples. They would never highlight themselves in this way. And they probably don't want me doing that this morning. But they've been a great model of this for me in my life from the time I can, can remember as a small kid where they chose to sacrifice certain things, chose not to do things that they could do so they could use it for the kingdom. To this day, I have no idea how much money my parents made. Okay, I don't know if it was a lot, if it was a middle, or if it was a little. I really don't know. But what I do know is there's certain things that they have sacrificed so that they would be able to give it away freely. And so they can support missionaries, so they can support church players, so they can support different ministries. I know that they cut out cable TV when we were moving out to Portland, amongst probably some other things. And that, yes, they support their local church, but they also support Sojourn. They are a financial supporter of us. And so they've been a great example of that in my own life. Students, I'd ask you this morning, what's your heart motivation behind your major or your career? Have you ever stopped to ask yourself why it is that you're studying what you're studying? Or those of you who are post-college and you're in your career, have you ever stopped to ask yourself, why is it that I'm doing what I'm doing? Is it to get rich? Is it to be generous? Is it to expand the kingdom of God? Is it to help store up treasure in heaven? 
You see, it's all about heart motivation. It's not bad to make money. Once again, I hope some of you are wildly successful. I hope some of you climb that corporate ladder. I hope that I have some really wealthy friends who can help support church planters. Not just me, but as we want to multiply and help support church planters. You can be generous with those things. So it's all about your heart motivation. So if you have more this morning, don't feel like it's necessarily bad. It's about the motivation of your heart and how is it you're using it? How is it you're stewarding what God has given you and what God has blessed you with? Now, for those of you that debt is not an issue, let me ask you a hard question. Could a person who doesn't love Jesus look at you and how you are stewarding your possessions and your finances? They look at you and say, I know that this person is a person whose heart belongs to God because of how they're using their money. What does your bank account reveal about you? If you want to know where your treasure is, that'll tell you where your treasure is. You see what it's spent on. Your stuff, what you're doing with it is a strong indicator of where your heart is because it is where your treasure is located. So I have a few points of application and then we'll wrap up this morning. First is when it comes to finances, give to the Lord first. Have you ever wondered why God asks his people to give the first fruits, to give him the best? God doesn't need the money. So let me just go ahead and let you in on that. The reason that God asks us to give him the first fruits, the best, is that's the way that God wants to show us where our heart is. He wants to say our heart is first and foremost belongs to him and that God, you are my master, not my money. That God, you are the priority that I'm not gonna spend everything on myself because it's impossible to serve money when you are first off giving some of it away. Now college, young people, the time to start doing this is not in your mid-30s like I am or your mid-40s or any other age, time to start doing this is right now. I know you might be thinking, but man, I barely can make ends meet. I'm barely scraping by. I can't do this. Here's the reality. You're always going to have things to spend money on. Kids, my kids aren't getting any smaller. My oldest just turned 10. So we're only a few years from teenage years and they're going to hit puberty and they're going to start growing, which means we have to start buying them all new clothes. They're all going to be playing sports. And so there's always going to be all these expenses that are piling up. You're going to have a mortgage one day. You're going to have a car payment one day and so on and so forth. Just in our lives, and I don't say this to highlight me and myself, but Andre and I started doing this when I was flipping burgers when we first got married at a restaurant. And it was hard and we were scraping by at certain times. And there's been times where we had more and there's times we've had less in our 14 years of marriage. But we've always said we want to be generous with what God has given us. And so we always want to make sure that we give of our first fruits to expand the kingdom of God, even when we felt like we couldn't do it, even when we felt like, man, I just don't know that I have a much, and, and that we wanted to do that. We model that for our kids. Our kids collect cans, and sometimes they do chores, and we'll give them money, and we, we've kind of said, hey, look, let's take the first part of this, and let's give some of that back to the kingdom, because we want to expand the kingdom. We're going to put some of that in your savings account, and then you're going to get to spend a little bit of it, and so we're trying to instill that and model and disciple our kids in that way already. The second application point is look for ways that you can use your earthly treasures for the glory of God. Think about how it is you're using your degree. Think about how it is you're using your car. Think about how it is you're using your house. Think about how it is you're using your skills, not for yourself, but for the kingdom of heaven. Theologian Scott McKnight, he says, this passage does not deny the value of work and profit. This doesn't mean we shouldn't pay taxes or pay off loans. It does not prohibit providing the means of sustenance. It does not prohibit labor that provides for our families. And it does not prohibit occasionally storing up in order to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. 
The danger is the lure of riches, wealth, and possessions. And so Jesus, church, is summoning us to this simple lifestyle, to simplify our lifestyles and to focus on the kingdom of God. In this kingdom, there won't be hoarding or storing up treasure, but instead of be living in the bounty of God's gracious provision so that we can enjoy what he wants to serve God and to serve others. So church, that is my prayer and that is my hope. Just as we've looked the last few weeks at at praying and, and fasting, and now we're looking at giving, that we would grow in this area as a church and that we continue in our lives as knowing, known as people who are generous with what God has entrusted to us. And so church, let me pray for us to that end and we'll wrap up this morning. God, I just wanna to come to you again and thank you for another Sunday where we can gather as your church. God, specifically we can gather as Sojourn Church in Northeast Portland. God, we looked at a, a really challenging passage. I don't know if the Sermon on the Mount ever gets easy, but man, every week it just seems like there's something that is just really kind of challenging, especially for those of us who are in this American context. God, that you would show us where our treasure is. God, that, that we would use our degrees and use our possessions and use our finances, God, to bless others. God, to be generous and to expand your kingdom, that it wouldn't just be about ourselves. God, even with the stimulus checks we just got, some of us need it more than others, but God, that we, we would be challenged of what we do with that extra money that we just got. God, we can look for ways to, to bless others. God, we can specifically look for ways to invest in work that's going to expand your kingdom. God, I pray that we could leave this morning and we can put this into practice in our lives as we continue learning what it means to follow you and to follow you faithfully and that we can continuously learn what it means to practice the ways of Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.